Isaiah, the mini Bible. This is part seven. And we begin our reading in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his message was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, and what had been, been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Because who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we, we esteemed him smit, uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with rich at his death, because he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Once again, in Isaiah 52 and 53, is a clear visual of what this coming Messiah was going to do for us. And what's interesting is God will have Isaiah 53 actually etched into our minds when we get to heaven. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is this. In Revelation 4, there's a scene in heaven, and a question is asked by an angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals? And there was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was able to loose the seals of the scroll. But then one of the elders said, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And there stood a lamb as though it had been slain. You see, for us to view Jesus as the slain lamb of God when we're in heaven tells us what is important to God for us to see and to understand and to know what he did for us. So once again, Isaiah 53 will be etched into our minds when we get to heaven. But back in chapter 52, the very first verse, verse 13, says, be, Behold. That word behold means to look at. It means to see clearly. To take notice. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. Indeed, my servant, the Messiah, will act wisely and prosper. He'll be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Four things in this verse. Number one, he'll deal prudently. It means that act wisely. Number two, he will prosper. Number three, he'll be extolled, lifted up. And number four, greatly exalted. So the first thing that we are to see before we read of his suffering in Isaiah 53 is that Jesus, the Messiah, will be elevated. The Father is saying, as you enter into these passages of Isaiah 53 and see it as unimaginable for Messiah, he wants us to know in all that there is no defeat there. 
This is the one that accomplished this act so successfully that there is nothing above him. He acted wisely in seeing it through. And though Jesus had that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Yet Jesus did not stop it, which he could have. But he acted wisely, prudently, and because of that, he prospered, greatly exalted, extolled. Thus, Isaiah 53, once again, means no defeat. The question is this, what does this say to you and to me? Well, it says this, before we enter into a trial or difficulties or trouble or pain, the Lord has already exalted us. He's already lifted us up. He's already counted this trial or difficulty as success and accomplishment. This is how the Lord sees it, and he views it in our tribulations before we ever enter into it. For when it's done and over, we will be extolled, raised up out of the death of pain and hurt. Listen, that trial ends up being a success for your life. That trial can and will exalt you to a new level. Whatever pain or hurt that might have been caused by that trial, God will use it for your good. That trial doesn't mean defeat for you. He can bring new life from that. He can renew a strong commitment to him through that. We know what Jesus' pain, suffering, and hurt did for us, but we forget what it did for him. It exalted him to the highest place in the universe. Also in verse 14 of Isaiah 52, also the, it also has this word astonished when we looked upon him. The translators have actually softened the language, but it means like more of a surprise. But the Hebrew meaning is it froze them. It paralyzed them. What they saw when they saw Jesus in that beaten state, it petrified and horrified them. It was a shock that it froze them in time. What they saw was an appearance marred more than any man. It doesn't say that he was marred more than any man who had ever lived. But listen, most of us probably have seen The Passion of the Christ, that movie, because it was one of the most graphic movies ever made of Jesus and his beating and crucifixion. This movie not only, this movie, not like any movie of Jesus, he was covered in blood. There was a distortion, disfigurement. Mel Gibson back then did a few releases of The Passion of the Christ that came out and tones it down because there are many people that want to take their kids or their grandparents to see it, but the first version, they said, was too hard to watch. But in reality, the first version didn't live up to the reality of how horrible it really was. Yes, it got an R rating for violence, but the original didn't match how it really, really was. If you go back to that night, when they took Jesus to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, then after that house, he went to Anna's house, the ex-high priest, then the next morning to Pilate. All night long, Jesus was beaten. He was spit upon. His beard was yanked out of his face. And once the night was over and the first light of morning, and off to Pilate, Jesus goes. The swelling and the blackness around the eyes must have been at peak at that time. And then the daylight, you could see what they had done. It was only a stun for the folks at this point, for the shock, the petrifying, the paralyzing was to come later, for the scourging hadn't taken place yet. But here's a question. Why so much suffering of the Messiah? Why not just die quickly, get it over with? For isn't death the key for us to have life? So what's the point of all that suffering to lead up to his death? That's really a good question. 
And it's for us right here in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Note the word our. What else I want you to note in verses 4 through 6 in Isaiah 53, we are mentioned about 11 times, interchanged with our, us, and we. At the same time, as we are mentioned, so is Jesus. He, him, he, his. And so in verses 4 through 6, once God takes us in Jesus and places us and couples us together in these two verses, he has to include stricken and smitten, afflicted, chastised, stripes, wounds, bruises. So these are the words that are interjected to us and Jesus together. Why? He bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Our sin had to be punished for what it was, and all those things are a part of our sin. That's why suffering came. And if you just pause for a second and think about it, it's the visual of how horrible our sin that we are born with is in the sight of God. It's because of us that there's a Calvary, there's a Golgotha, that there's a crucifixion, that there was a substitute. So to put all, as much of us and Jesus and all these verses together, when you do that, you have to have grief and sorrow and stricken and afflicted and smitten and wounds and bruises, stripes and chastisement. These two words, born and carried in verse 4, are Old Testament terms of how an animal would be substitutionary for our sin. Once it's born on them, it's carried away by them. Once our sin was on Jesus as he hung on the cross, then it would be carried away by Jesus. It's not born on him, and it just lingers on him until he dies, and it's brought back off on us. No, all understood. Once it's born on the animal, then that sin is carried away by that animal, and it's the same with Jesus. Jesus born it, and he carried it. And where did he carry it? He carried it into hell with him, where it belongs. You see, my sin and your sin is in hell, where it will remain forevermore. We have been separated from our sin, and it's in hell never to attach itself to us ever again. Why? Jesus born it, and he carried it. And when a person would come to the temple and sacrifice a lamb for their sin, the lamb was, ex the lamb was examined. The worshiper was never examined. It was just taken for granted from the very beginning that that worshiper was sinful. It was the lamb that had to be spotless. In Isaiah 53, 9, it says, Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Peter paraphrases this in 2 Peter 2, where he says basically this, Jesus was sinless. When Jesus bore our sins, we were not examined. It was the lamb, Jesus, that was examined. And he had to be sinless, without spot or blemish. Isn't that amazing? When we come to the cross and believe Jesus died for our sin, on that cross there is no examination of us. It's taken for granted we are sinners. That's why we come to the cross, to Jesus. So he born and carried our griefs and our sorrows, which is our sin. That is what sin is, grief and sorrow, the suffering before death. There is this debate over who killed Jesus. Was it the Romans or was it the Jews? The reality is it wasn't the Romans or the Jews. It was you and I that killed him. Our sin is what killed him. He laid his life down for his friends. Let me do this for you, Jesus was saying. I want to die in your place, so to do that, you have to give me your sins, because I can't die unless I have your sins. And so when Jesus died, it's because he had my sins, and thus, it was you and I that killed him. I don't know if you know this or not, 
And I think it was kind of a cool thing, but in the scene of the Passion of the Christ, when they show that nail being pierced into the hand of Jesus, that hand in the movie holding the nail and hammering it to his hands of the actor portraying Jesus was actually Mel Gibson himself's own hand. It was the only part he played on film in the movie. He said that was the part he wanted to play. It was him who nailed Jesus to the cross. We all did. But back in verse 15 it said, of chapter 52, it says, when he, he comes into his glorified state, his exalted state, it says, so he shall sprinkle many nations. So what Jesus did, that act, was sprinkle many nations. So sprinkle means to an act of you are cleansed. The priests would do this for lepers. They would do this for a blood sacrifice. It was a pronouncement that a person was cleansed. It wasn't an act of hoping to be cleansed. It was a done deal. Not healed, but cleansed. We're sinners until the day we die. Our failures and our mistakes are always before us. We're going to mess up. We will willfully at times do the wrong thing. But as long as we dwell on this earth in these bodies, we are sinners, not healed of sin. Yet from God's vantage point and what Jesus did for us, we are cleansed. As the song goes, what will wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Washing is a cleansing, not a healing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the midst of our sin, we weren't healed of our sin, but we were cleansed of our sin. While I'm not healed of my sin I, and I sin, Christ has cleansed me, and that sin, that is what happened when he died on the cross for me. Now, we don't go and purposely sin and live a life of continual sinning. No, we don't. But, we, but when we fail, when we mess up, now and then, we are promised that we are cleansed. Paul said this, we all with open faces behold the glory of the Lord. As a mirror, we are being changed. You know, just beholding the glory of Jesus in these passages changes us. Looking for change, read the Bible. That'll change you. Looking for change, prayer, because prayer changes you. We really go through all kinds of journeys in our Christian walk for change. We want change. We desire change. But always sooner or later, our journey brings us back to the person of Jesus Christ. We realize the first thing we beheld was the deepest thing we could have ever beheld. As it says, behold means to look at, see clearly, take notice. What he did for us, for our sin, was horrific for him, but it wasn't defeat. It was wise. It prospered him. It exalts him to success, and he was lifted, extolled very high. If you're wanting change, read Isaiah 53. Read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Romans. Read the Acts of the Apostles. And you can behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror we are being changed. This is holy ground. 